So you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you need to get those Z's. And if you do need to snooze, we'd much rather you did that at home in your warm, comfortable bed than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. You'll still miss out on some things we think are pretty cool, like community, like people who know you and smile at you and encourage you. Think you're all right. Think you're all right. You'll miss out on music and cute kids and probably even cookies at coffee hour. But we'll give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada, the biggest little city in the world. We're not theological experts or perfect preachers. We're just average pastors helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast, so if you're away from home or working or maybe you're coaching or skiing or maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Each episode is a conversational version of a sermon one of us gave on Sunday. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this, we ask that you would keep an open mind and an open heart. Quick note, we're serious about the open mind. We don't think you have to agree with everything we say. In fact, we want you to question, to to think. Our sincere hope is that in that process, you will experience the mysterious loving force of the world we know as God moving in your life as you consider this. So Suzanne, on February 11th, Uh I preached the lectionary from February 4th. Well, we just like to switch we things just up like to sometimes. Mix, mix things up, uh, keep it fresh. In any case, the story is from Mark. It's two stories put together. Uh-huh. And the stories are about Jesus and his disciples doing things that do not follow the rules. <gasps> Jesus was a rule breaker? Jesus was a rule breaker. No way. Yeah. So the first bit is Jesus and his disciples are like walking through a field and they're hungry. Mm-hmm. And so they start gleaning. And gleaning is just pulling off the heads of wheat that were not used by the farmers. Right. Uh, and there was like, there are like rules about you have to leave a certain amount for the poor to eat. Right. Uh-huh. And so you would, you would leave the outsides of your field unharvested so that the poor would have a place to come and get some food if they needed it. Right. So Jesus and his disciples are walking through this field and they're gleaning. And they're like having a snack as they're walking through this field. Mm-hmm. And the Pharisees are with them for some reason. And they're like they're like trailing them. Like yeah, they, I, I figure that they're like they're like the they're like trying to sneak behind trees and spy on them. <laughs> they are the wily coyote of the, the New <laughs> Testament. They're just trying to catch him doing something bad and pounce. Anyway, so just, so the Pharisees uh, call him out on this, and mm-hmm. Jesus says, "You don't know your scriptures very well, do you?" And he talks about David, King David, mm-hmm. when he was hungry, walked into the temple. And pulled the bread off the altar that he wasn't supposed to eat, right? Only the priests were supposed to eat the bread on the altar. And he says, you know, we don't make these rules so that people can uphold the rules. (laughs) We make the rules to support the people. And so, you know, the Sabbath, the famous line is the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the idea is that it's whatever gives you life Mm -hmm. and not necessarily whatever is strictly adhering to the rules that you're supposed to do on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are, you know, get their panties in a twist when they go to the temple next. Mm-hmm. And when they're in the temple, there's a man there who they say he has a withered hand. Uh, and they want to know if Jesus is going to heal him on the Sabbath because that's considered working. Right. Apparently. Can't do that. If you're a healer. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so they see if Jesus is going to touch right. this man and heal him. And Jesus They're kinda, still hiding behind pillars, I think. Oh, I don't know. Maybe whatever. So they go to this meeting place and the Pharisees are watching him and he tells the man with this with this withered hand to stand up where everybody can see him. And then Jesus doesn't touch him. Right. He doesn't say anything to him. He doesn't say, 
His sins are forgiven. He doesn't say anything. He just says, stretch out your hand. And the guy stretches out his hand and he's miraculously healed, of course. And the Pharisees are so upset with him because he says, you know, what, what is the Sabbath for? The Sabbath is for restoring. It's for boundary breaking grace. It's for God reminding us that we are human beings, not human doings. The Sabbath is a good thing. It's a good thing. But it's not about enforcing the Sabbath. And the Pharisees get so mad that they run away and they start plotting how to kill Jesus. Right. So the irony being they're trying to enforce the rules and then they get caught breaking the rules because right. of Jesus. <laughs> and so They couldn't even wait for Monday. Because plotting to kill is totally work. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, tedious paperwork stuff. <laughs> um, so well, these, plotting, and plotting to kill on the Sabbath is it's no big deal. These religious authorities. And so what I, what I tell the congregation is whenever there's a story about the Pharisees, it's real nice to like make them the villain, like right. Zorro style with like the mustaches and the face masks and right. stuff. But they're not the other people. They're us. They're us. They're struggling against what they have been told. They're, they're struggling against the voices in their head. They're struggling against... They're the religious elite. Right. They're the people who get to go to church and not have to worry about whether or not they're going to be judged for that. You know, they're the ones who walk in with their heads held high. Right. And because they have the privilege and they have the... Yeah. So that's us. So whenever you read a story about the Pharisees, don't get too cocky. That's you. <laughs> Okay, that's us. And so I was talking about this idea of what is the purpose of the Sabbath. And the evidence of Sabbath for Jesus is liberation, Mm -hmm. uh, boundary breaking, healing, life transforming grace at work. Yep, that sounds sounds like really good stuff. The hungry being fed. (gasps) um, That's work though, Chris. Those who have have some physical disabilities being healed. It's about restoring people to full life. And... What I compared it to is I have this niece named Charlie, and Charlie has recently started Catholic school. Oh, yes. Uh, she's going to preschool uh, with the Our Ladies of Mercy. Mm-hmm. So she knows all of the fancy prayer hand motions and things. But my favorite is that when Charlie was younger, she knew that we would say grace before meals. Mm-hmm. And she became the enforcer. Oh, yes. During grace before she was the eye police. And so she would make sure everybody's eyes were closed. <laughs> and if you opened your eyes during the prayer, she'd say, eyes closed. Like she, she would become real insistent that you needed to close your eyes. Well, what's funny was that means that Charlie's eyes were, were open, open the whole time. Yeah. Right? So right, right. your hands weren't folded properly. She'd call you on it. So she didn't really understand the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to make sure your eyes are closed. The purpose of prayer, of course, is to connect you to a sense of grateful attention to God right. for all of the blessings in your lives. And so Charlie, she's two or three years old. She can't understand that. She understands that you're supposed to have your eyes closed. She understands the boundaries. Yeah. She understands that you're supposed to have your eyes closed. And so she wants to enforce prayer. And so we talked about like, well, what are all the ways that you can pray? Mm. So we talked about the Oran's prayer position. I, I compared it to like prayer dance moves. <laughs> so like the Oran's position is different. Like it's like doing the sprinkler versus doing the right. twist or whatever. Right. And it's a very different, it's a very open, mm-hmm. big kind of prayer stance. Your your arms are up, your hands are out, your eyes are facing upward. They're open. The right. Oran's position is probably more like what Jesus used to do. Um, then ours, eyes closed, heads down, hands folded. Or we say with the with the kids, prayer antennas up, which means put your hands together and point them at the ceiling. Right? <laughs> it's just a way of like focusing our attention. Right. Um, we did a little, during children's moment, we did a little walk. So we lined up single file and we walked through the congregation and I pointed out things as we walked through the congregation. And I said, oh, you know what? I just noticed this person and they just joined the church as a member. We're going to pray for them. So we said a little prayer for that person. Then we walked down and the ushers were in the back and we said, you know what? These guys are here every week and they help to make sure that everything runs smoothly. We're going to say a little thank you prayer for them. And so like we just did this little prayer walk and I said, you can do this in your own neighborhood. You can do this at school. You pass your classroom, you pass your teacher, you pass your friends, say a little prayer for them. So there's all these different ways of praying. 
It's not about eyes closed. Eyes closed. It's not about don't work. It's about what will connect you to a fuller life in God. And what's crazy is that we often try to associate grace with rules. Oh, yeah, because there's some rules for grace. There's, you know, like we behave in a particular way. And sometimes we confuse like our own personal sense of decorum Mm -hmm. for what is loving. Right. And that's not always the truth. So Jesus has these crisis moments, these moments where he bumps up against the Pharisees. Now, there's this like motivational speaker thing where they'll tell you that in Chinese, the character for crisis Mm -hmm. is two characters put together, the character for danger Mm -hmm. and the character for opportunity. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just kind of an interesting, it's wrong. Like that's incorrect, right? People who have any understanding of the language will tell you it's not opportunity. It means a precise moment of importance, mm. like an opportune moment, mm-hmm. which is different than opportunity, which in Chinese opportunity is about like winning the lottery. Right. right. So it's not really about winning the lottery. It's really about here is this moment where the stakes are high and how will you choose to respond? Right. And I said, each one of these moments are an opportunity for us to decide how we are going to respond. Jesus gets angry at the Pharisees. He gets furious with them. And it's not like a, an immediate reaction. Mm-mm. It builds in him over time. Right. Because, he's trying, right? Because like, like, he's trying to help them see some right. grace. Like there's these stories of he's trying to gently change their mind. Yeah. And they're just, they're not, they're hard headed. They're not pulling it. And so Jesus sees each one of these crisis opportunities. Is, is this the moment where he will reinforce a projection that he has? Mm-hmm. Or is this a moment where he will help people be open to grace? Right. And that's true for each one of us that we have to try and figure out, are we being reactive or is what we're responding to something that we should really get angry about? Yeah, right. I like that this is an angry story of Jesus where he's not flipping tables. Right. I feel like we think when we see the flipping table story, like, uh-huh. oh yeah, Jesus got angry one time. Right, no. He, he's like us, right? Like, there's some moments where we're over the top. And there's some moments where we need to be angry. And where we're just, we're, and we're just broiling, and it keeps us energized in the, in the direction of grace. Yeah. In the direction of justice. Where anger is the proper response. But. Um, I've told several friends of mine who say, you know, I feel really bad. I don't go to church anymore, but I had such an abusive experience of church. And I said, if you had an ex- an abusive experience of church, the proper response to that is to leave, mm-hmm. is to yeah. not subject yourself to abuse, right? And so that there are moments when we should be angry. Yeah. And that, that comes from a righteous place. Right. And so Jesus is, he's getting angry, but it's not reactive. The Pharisees are getting angry and it is reactive, yeah. They are fearful of Jesus breaking a rule that they have spent their lives trying to enforce. Right. And maybe they've spent their lives trying to enforce it for a good reason, but they've lacked, they lack perspective in this moment. It's much more, I mean, I see this much more in our lives when we um, defend a position. Despite facts. Despite facts, but also just because we don't want to be, we don't want to pre- be perceived as weak. Or wrong. Or wrong. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the strongest thing we can do is say, yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah. Exactly. But it's so hard because we built, we start to build identity around positions Mm -hmm. and that's really dangerous. Well, and and we we decide if somebody attacks this position, they are attacking me. Right. No, no, that's not what it is. So, so my challenge to the congregation was to figure out, to remember the last time they were really angry Mm. or really sad Mm -hmm. or really ashamed of themselves or really anxious to think about those moments. Like when was the last time you experienced that really negative emotion Mm -hmm. and to try and figure out, is that your own stuff that you're projecting out into the world? Or is that God giving you an opportunity to exhibit grace? Right. Is that a moment where you need to stand up and speak up Mm -hmm. or 
um, to offer somebody else a way to get off the hook or to offer yourself a way to get off the hook. Like, is that a moment for you to let go of something or is that a moment for you to step up? Right. And to pay real, real close attention to whether or not that's your own stuff. If you being reactive um, or projecting, or if you are really actually responding to a deep and inherent sense of grace yeah. of God's grace in the world. And that kind of discernment is not something that we do once and stop. No, no, this is, this is the, I mean, it's everything from choosing your battles, mm-hmm. right? Like, like making those decisions. Cause sometimes we, we we're going full force at everything. Yeah. Too, too many windmills, too many windmills. And we're going in too many directions or, and then that becomes habit. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you go at everything that doesn't help your relationships. That doesn't help. Oh, and it burns you out too. It burns you which out. is when you're burned out, you can't do any, anybody else any good anyway. Right. But also I think about the times when we lie flatter, mm. when we should be standing up. Yeah. Right. Because, because it's going to cost us something. Yeah. We're going to have to, we're going to, we might have to face the truth about a relationship that we don't want to face. Right. Right. And it's easier. You know, many times we have to make that discernment mm-hmm. about where 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 those boundaries are, where those lines are, where God is calling us to step in. Totally. And most of the time, God's not telling us to sit back and let injustice happen. Right. God is not letting us telling us to sit back and and let people feel anything less than grace. We are looking for the moments mm-hmm. where we can see the evidence of Sabbath. Right. We are looking for the the chances that we have to bring a world that is liberated mm-hmm. from shame, from injury, from harm, yep. from oppression, that is crossing boundaries instead of building them, that is willing to experience the transformative power of grace and to seek justice for everybody and not just for ourselves. And so we're using a tool during Lent mm-hmm. called the Enneagram. It's just a tool. People get all up on their high horses about personality typing systems. Get over it. It's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. descriptive. It's saying, if you notice yourself involved in these unexamined habits, you need to decide if they are actually building walls and preventing you from living a fuller life, or if they are building bridges. Yeah. So we're doing this this thing during Lent, where we have small groups that are meeting to discuss these personality types and how we internalize, externalize, repress all of our own stuff that makes it a lot harder for us to experience grace in the world. We consider Lent in the Christian church like spring training. Mm-hmm. It's a begin begin as you mean to go on kind of thing, right? So what are the habits that I can build now that will help me actually feel more connected to my world? Yeah. That will help me experience grace and share grace even when it's hard. Uh, how, how can I do that in a more intensive way so that it becomes habit? Right. Because so habits don't happen... Accidentally. Accidentally. I mean, some of them do, like, but good decide, habits, generally. Yeah, good habits and, and, and intentional change has to be intentional. Mm-hmm. So the Pharisees can't handle this, this idea. They can't break out of their own molds, um, so to speak. And so they go off and they start plotting. But we, we can work mm-hmm. on this. Uh, the quote on the cover of the bulletin that week was something about, I believe in Christianity, not just because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Mm. And I said, what if we saw grace in that way? What if we see grace, but also we choose to see the world through a lens of grace? And how would that change our behavior, our relationships, our understandings, our internal monologues? How would that help us? Because every moment, any one of these interactions, any one of our decisions is is a chance for a pitfall or a possibility for grace. Yeah. And we get to decide uh, which one that's going to be. I talked about my own stuff. Of course, I always like to use myself as an example so nobody feels like I'm picking on them. Um, my personality type is one of those types where I care so deeply about people. 
I'm a type eight. So eights have the biggest hearts in the Enneagram uh, in so many ways. We care so deeply about the people that we care about that um, we want to protect them from everything. Mm -hmm. And we end up building all of these walls to protect ourselves and the people we care about from everything. And it ends up separating us from other people and actually creating the enemies that will attack. Yeah. And so if you haven't seen Black Panther yet, (laughs) there's a real good example of that in Black Panther, uh, that we create our own enemies in some ways and we create our own isolation. And we act so tough that what we really want to do is be seen. Mm -hmm. Um, But nobody sees us because they just think, oh, she can handle it. She's tough. You know, and so you don't end up being a whole person. Yeah. Uh, and so that the struggle for eights is to do the counterintuitive thing, which is to empower other people, even though that makes you more vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, and that can be really difficult. And yet you find that when you do the work, you are less fearful. Yep. You are less angry about the things that don't matter. And you find a way forward that is actually transformative. And it's constant work. <laughs> it is constant. Always. Well, work. And, 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 you know, this, this whole human, this whole hum- being a human thing mm. is constant work. Totally. Right? We can't just coast. Yeah. All of us have, have things that stand in our way and things that pop up. And um, if we don't pay attention to those things... They will destroy they us. They will destroy us. Yeah. So we're using this book called The Road Back to You, which I really like. It's written by Suzanne Stabile and Ian Crow, and I'll link it in the blog post. But uh, the reason I like it is because they don't they don't take it too seriously. Mm-hmm. They take it seriously enough. You know, you take right. God seriously, you take grace seriously, and you take, you know, your behavior and how it affects other people seriously, but you don't take yourself too seriously. And so they they have in every in every type, right? They talk about like, here's how you know if you're this type. And then here's 10 things that you can do that will are tiny mm-hmm. that will actually transform your life. Right. And so you don't, don't try and do all 10 of them at once. <laughs> Pick one. Pick one. Pick one, work on it for a while. But they're really funny. I think like the second or third one is get in touch with your inner child mm. and your inner sense of innocence because eights often feel like, you know, they've been betrayed at a young age and they need to like protect the world or whatever. Right. And so uh, get in touch with your own inner child. Yes, we know you hate that stuff. <laughs> get over yourself and get do over it yourself anyway. And go, you know? go have fun And anyway. so they sort, of, they sort of tease you out of your seriousness about this and give you an invitation to try something new. Yeah. And so we're inviting the congregation to, to do this with us and just see... See what happens if we can transform some of these crisis moments into opportunities for grace instead of these things where we just feel attacked all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's anyway. cool. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to hear how it's going. Yeah. And uh, so we just started, uh, we're recording these a little bit late. So we just had Ash Wednesday this week and uh, people are real excited. The response is much better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So we have four or five new small groups starting and then a couple of older small groups or ongoing small groups, I should say, that are picking up the book for yeah. a short term. Uh, study and it's yeah people are getting into it which is somebody came up to me and said this is obviously important to you this has obviously been a huge part of your life why are you just telling us about this now and the hard answer for me is that I didn't trust them with it (sighs) until now and I feel like we've been talking for the last 18 months about being non-reactive and lowering our anxiety levels Mm -hmm. so that we are effective witnesses of the gospel in the world yeah and because we've been talking about it for so long, the temperature in the church has changed yeah. and it's less loaded. Yeah. And so it's now is the appropriate time to do this work and not when tensions are running high. Right. When tensions are running high, you need to lower the temperature instead of like, well, let's do some self-examination because we all get real judgy. Right. Right. <laughs> of right. ourselves and of other people. Yeah. So it's time to time to do that work. And, and hopefully during this kind of quieter season of Lent, we can take the time to do that well. What I love is that one of Chris's members works at my church and she was so excited about this. 
<laughs> well, she's excited about everything. She is. She's just she a sponge. She just absorbs. Yes, yes. Yeah. So she brings shout the, out. She's listening. Denny. Uh, Denny's listening. She does a. She does a. She brings the St. Paul sense of humor over to Reno, which good. We, we need. We need. We take we ourselves need. a little too seriously sometimes. Yeah. We're good. Well, you've been listening to the Sunday Morning Sleepin'. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you have questions for us or stories that relate what you've been discussing today, maybe you ha- know what number you are in the Enneagram and you want to share that with us. You know that I'm an eight and you get 10 points if you can guess what Susan is. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll reveal that next time. Yeah, she's well disguised. Uh, shoot us an email at sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com. Find us on our website at sundaymorningsleepin.com. The scripture for this podcast is Mark 2, verse 23 through Mark 3, verse 6. And the music you're hearing is Take Me Higher by Jazzer. It's traditional at the end of a worship service for the priest to deliver a blessing to the congregation. Just some wise words to send everybody out feeling a little bit holier. I don't have any words to make you feel holier. I have some words that I hope will free you Mm. from your own anxiety, your own irritation, your own shame, which is that God loves you just the way you are. Mm. The God who created all the best things in the universe thought the universe needed one of you too uh, for a reason. So... Trust that. Trust yourself. And give yourself a little bit of space to start to pay attention. Pay attention to those moments. Pay attention to how you're reacting. And let God offer you some healing. Let God offer you some grace so that it will flow through you and into the world around you. Uh, we got to start with ourselves sometimes. And so during this season of Lent, I pray. I pray that you will experience this life-transforming grace of God even for yourself. So whatever you believe about what we've been talking about today, may you choose to live into your own skin with grace. May you choose to love and to listen and to serve and to seek justice. Maybe you slept in, but now it's time to wake up and get moving. Amen. Amen.